0: The football pod on otb sports I, I think they'll have too much i didn't hear a word you said in the last 45 seconds huh. breaking news here on the football pod the football pod is available every tuesday exclusively on the otb sports app the koi Gig pod on otb sports in association with cadbury a player and
1: a half deserves a glass and a half of support
2: uh, everyone ran their socks off tonight and they left everything out there. are very proud of the, the team's performance.
1: Let the shackles off Katie a bit so that she can go and play her game. We're going to go out there
2: to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello there. You're listening to episode 22 of the Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. I'm Kathleen McNamee and fresh from what I'm sure was a quiet, relaxing bank holiday is Karen Always. Duggan.
1: Always <laughs> fresh, ready for action.
2: Excellent. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> the Koiging Pod on OTV Sports is in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland Women's National Team. Now, there was no WSL again this week, so Emma Carroll has got her thinking hat on and pulled together a very interesting-looking combined Arsenal-Chelsea eleven, which we'll be bringing you a bit later on. After that, we'll be joined by the woman of the moment, none other than the most assured goalkeeper in the country last week, uh, Courtney Brosnan, who will be joining us on the pod. But first, there was a small matter of FA Cup semi finals this weekend, the women's, which were very interesting. Um, We saw another Arsenal Chelsea battle in which Chelsea came out on top, and then also Manchester City beating West Ham 4 1 in a battle that the scoreline's probably a little bit higher than the West Ham should be, like, actually given a bit of credit for some of the performance that they put in. But I suppose we'll start with that one since that was the first match of the weekend. what did you make of Man City's performance?
1: Yeah, it felt kind of inevitable. Um, you just knew that the quality would come through in the end. You were, I was just a little bit disappointed that West Ham gave away that second goal because they had been getting into some spaces. They'd caused Man City a little bit of trouble. And they were finding pockets and you could tell that on the break, they did have a threat that Lisa Evans obviously proved getting her goal. But I, you always felt the run of form that Man City were in um, and the quality that they now are, are playing. And we you know they have all these players back, um, none more so than Kelly, obviously. So it was inevitable. It was a professional performance out of them. Um, clinical in the end, I suppose, to, to get four. But I think four is a little bit harsh on West Ham and West Ham can be pretty proud of what they did. And I think that they should look to build upon this for next season. Definitely. I was really
2: impressed and you could see what they had learned from their previous 2-0 defeat against City Mm -hmm. in the WSL that they had kind of made the changes and they were, it was an optimistic play from Molly Harder, I thought, like forcing West Ham into that high press, especially against a team with the quality of players that City has. It did kind of let them down in the sense that whenever it faltered at all, city were there to jump in but i think if you look at what harder is trying to build in the club and like to waste wants to bring west ham it wasn't necessarily a bad thing doing no, I, that i sort
1: enjoyed of... i enjoyed that they went for it you know it would have been easy for them to set up negatively and just try and sit back and frustrate Man City, I think the scoreline might have ended up like this anyway had they done that. So for them to go out and show that they can play and they can take it to a top team at times attacking-wise is a good thing. I think that they'll, they'll solidify themselves defensively anyway because as a mid-table team, you're going to have to do that. But in a cup match, you have to win, you have to go for it. So it was good to watch, I guess, for, for the neutral, that it was a little bit more expansive than what we expected. I
2: also think it's interesting, you look at City and considering the season they've had, which has been rocky enough that they're now in the FA Cup final, it could be their second piece of silverware if they do manage to beat Chelsea. And it just doesn't feel like they've done enough or something this season to actually be
1: in that position. Yeah, it's kind of, I kind of feel like, God, I would like to see someone else in that position because... Other teams have given us so much more highlights and a bit more excitement. Like Man United, I believe, have played some really good stuff at the start of the season. They may still be pipped for that Champions League space just because Man City just have the strength and depth to come back from what was a horrific start to the season. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to see someone different in the pot, um, possibly, and and in Wembley. But it is, it's a testament to the the quality they have and what they've been building over the years that they still could end what you would call a horrific season with two pieces of silverware. Like it's, it shows that they're still a big name to be reckoned with.
2: I know. I think it's pretty mad that since 2012, which is when Birmingham won the FA Cup, it's either been Arsenal, City or Chelsea. Like mm. the fact that there hasn't been some sort of cup shock or some team that have kind of gone on a run throughout and been able to usurp one of those three, it just hasn't happened, which maybe... I suppose it doesn't happen as much in the women's game as it maybe does in the men's FA Cup, but I would just love that. I would love West Ham to go on a run through the cup and give us a final at Wembley. That was just a little bit different yeah, to what we've seen. That's
1: what the magic of the cup is about, and you, you root for that. But I, I think in the women's game, the disparity between the really really strong teams and the the trailing pack is bigger than it is in the men's game, and, and shocks are are less likely because. They don't rest players in the same way that maybe a men's team would against a lower league team. That doesn't tend to happen as much. Um, so yeah, it was it was no shock that we're seeing Man City put, book their place in that final.
2: Something that I thought was quite interesting from, I think it was Ollie Harder, Emma Hayes and Jonas Edeveld all said it after the game. They all talked about consistency. Harder said, you know, we don't have that consistency yet. We don't have that depth yet. We haven't built it. And Emma Hayes was saying that was the difference between us over Arsenal because we have been able to build that winning mentality. We have been able to get that consistency. And it's something Arsenal have really struggled because after that first half, they really should have been a couple of goals on the scoreboard, but they had they just weren't able to manage it at all.
1: And then seemed to fall to pieces and letting in those two goals. And that's the thing. The, the fact that they didn't put those chances away in the first half, I felt at halftime, like I feared for them because I was like, that was your chance because Chelsea don't let up. Chelsea can come out in the second half and ter- really turn the screw. And that's absolutely what they did. Our, Chelsea didn't perform great the first 20 minutes of that game. They gave Arsenal a foothold into the game. And for Arsenal to not take that opportunity, it speaks maybe to me that they don't, believe that they're as good as Chelsea. Um, I think now that Chelsea have gotten themselves that point ahead in the league, pe- people don't see them dropping that point. And maybe that's playing, was playing in the back of their heads a little bit. Um, it's unfortunate because they want, with the fantastic football they've shown us this season, it would be mad to think that they could end with nothing mm. as well.
2: Yeah, and I, I do think it is, it has been a particularly Arsenal problem this season at various points where they have let other teams get a foothold, or they've shown like quite impressive form in the first half, but not been clinical enough, which is yes. surprising when you look at the players they have. I mean, Mirama, say someone like Blasenius, although we were talking about her last week on the podcast not being clinical enough against Ireland. Mead those are the sort of players that you would expect to be putting those chances away because as you say you can't really come out in a second half against Chelsea and expect those goals to come you're giving them away and I can imagine it brought a lot of frustration for Adaval, especially how they started off the season and the sort of goals that they were converting
1: yeah and and he'll be very disappointed that it seems to be like a repeated pattern even thinking back to that league game where they let Birmingham come back into the game like they shouldn't be those games should be dead and buried and like you say consistency or, or clinicalness um that's that's the difference between champions and not and at the moment it's looking like Chelsea just have that cutting edge a bit more they have that killer instinct you know Arsenal might put two or three past a team we're seeing Chelsea put seven eight you know it's it's that kind of they don't let up Um, And I guess it's because they can bring the likes of Harder off the bench, you know, Um, they do have depth and I know Arsenal have some as well, but people are talking about Jordan Nobbs not being given enough of opportunity, but is the level of their bench quite at where Chelsea is? Maybe not when you look at it as a whole over the season.
2: I saw someone on Twitter, I think it might have been one of the Ars blog commentators talking about Arsenal and saying that, or about Chelsea and say that they're the sort of team that collect players and then work out what to do with them once they have them there. Do you think that's a fair assessment of Chelsea? think of players like Lauren James, who was probably lighting up the league last year, but we've barely seen her now and I know she's had injuries, but there's also very much that sense that Emma Hayes is kind of building something there rather than just, Throwing her into the team?
1: Yeah, because yeah, you could think that people like that would get frustrated, but they obviously want to be part of what Emma Hayes is building. They respect what she's doing. And you think of England in particular, who has been so impressive when she's played in recent games and has been really, really clinical. And she's proven herself. She still wants to be there. She still looks like she has that hunger. Um, so whatever Emma Hayes is doing whether it's planned or unplanned, we don't really know the ins and outs of it, but it's working. Um, and I think it will continue to work as long as she's at Chelsea.
2: Yeah, if you look at any player that's operated under Emma Hayes, the one thing they do say she is incredibly good at is team management and managing egos and making sure that players do still want to be at the club. Just like a quick look at the run and you mentioned there about the fact that Chelsea are the point ahead. Arsenal have to face Everton, Aston Villa, Tottenham, West Ham. And I do feel a bit for, Chelsea, or for Tottenham in this because they have to face Chelsea twice as well, and then Birmingham and United. So there's some interesting ties in there in terms of
1: you, with the way the season has gone, there definitely yeah. are points to drop and be picked up there. I only think the Chelsea United game is the the interesting one, the eyebrow razor there. I, I expect Arsenal, if Arsenal lose any of those games, I would see it as a little bit of an implosion um, mm-hmm. based on how Spurs' form has been as well. They have dipped, so you'd expect them to overcome that. Chelsea the same, but Man United will probably still have it all to play for in terms of that third place spot and Mark Skinner won't want to be the team that hands Chelsea the title either I don't think he's the type of manager who'd be no definitely not over (laughs) doing the handshake at the end of the game so and that's the one where I'm really really looking forward to but um I still think Chelsea maybe are just ruthless enough to to bring it the full way without dropping any more points it would be great as well if we like
2: even from a neutral perspective, if we got to the very last day of the Mm. season and it was like hinging on that Chelsea United result, especially if it was the Champions League and the league, and that was what the two of them were fighting out for, it would be absolutely incredible. And I can just imagine the podcast we would have after we would have a lot of fun but
1: I'm a United <laughs> scarf, <so. laughs>
3: yeah.
2: yeah exactly um, if you anyone listening has any thoughts or opinions on the FA Cup final I think it's on May 15th in Wembley so we will be covering that when it comes around but also if you have any thoughts on any of the teams or the run-ins for the last few matches of the WSL please get them into us on Twitter at off the ball and use the hashtag OTBCoyGig Emma, once again, you've had slightly fewer screens to look at. I'm never sure if you actually enjoy the weekends or you have fewer screens or not. But with what was happening, you've put together something quite interesting. We didn't have any WSL this week, but we did have the FA Cup semifinals. So we asked you to take one of the key matches, I suppose, that has been across the entire season, and that has been Arsenal and Chelsea, and put together a combined 11. Could you run through who is on your team? Yeah, I'll do it really quickly and then we'll kind of get into my made-up formation.
0: <laughs> 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 we went with Anne Katzenberger in goal, a back three of Ericsson, Bright and Williamson and then a kind of diamond midfield with Little, McCabe, Cutterbert and Miedema and then a front three of Harder, Kerr and Mead. Um, and probably if the news hadn't have come out about Frank Kirby being out indefinitely, I think she probably would have went in there Slap ahead in. of me. yeah I just when Kirby's fit and playing she's, she's one of the best players around but um, considering that she's going to be out for the rest of the season then
1: yeah I the competition for those Mead. top spots as well like they're hard to fit them all in um, <laughs> when you look at it there's you can see why both teams are top of the table
2: I did laugh at Karen's face as you were reading it out. I'm like, is this face for the players Emma has selected
0: or the formation formation, she's gone with?
1: I actually can't argue with too many of them, but uh, yeah, light at the back, we'll say.
0: Well, you know, you've got probably three of the best defenders there. Um, And then, yeah, I think it can be a fluid formation if you need be. You know, you can pull McCabe back or even Cuthbert um, or Cuthbert could move in. Tighter into a midfield as well, so that's I think- true. We have
1: seen Cupbert and McKay both used as wing backs this season. I um, feel like Cupperts kind of been everywhere, um, so she's definitely worth her not in any of the positions. We couldn't really argue with whatever you did there.
2: I did have a few that I was like. I feel you're going to bring up your argument that they're on your bench, but I'm not accepting that. <laughs> they're either on the team or they're not. And there was two that actually performed quite well at the weekend and that was G and Guru Rayton. Uh, two players that I think sometimes aren't massively rated in the way that they should be. I know Rayton had a bit of a tough season last season between COVID isolation. I think hit her quite hard in terms of her performance on the pitch, but I think she's come back quite a lot this season. And then G as well, who's just so consistent that (laughs) I think we sometimes forget about her a tiny bit oh
0: she's so good yeah she's brilliant but uh, yeah there's there's so many like when you think there's Blackstenius as well like there's so many players there from the two teams that it's really stacked but yeah I think it was either Brighton or McCabe and let's face it um, we were never not going to have McCabe in there so she got the nod there Um, and yeah yeah the trying to fit well you were kind of I was probably trying to fit three players into that but I ended up getting four of those attackers in <laughs> with my uh, my little diamond formation somehow <laughs> well
1: to be fair that's where Midema is it's kind of when on the team sheet for Arsenal these days so we can't argue too much with that one Um Harder makes the team even though sometimes we've seen her kind of deployed off the bench but isn't that again is just a testament to the stacked level of
3: attack that Chelsea have had this season.
2: It was that you mentioned Harder because Harder and Ericsson were two of the players that I picked out that I was like, they are so good, but I don't know if we've seen them at their best this season. Yeah, probably not. But when
0: I'm, I was trying to think of them all at their fighting fittest, best for the rest of the run-in of the season. And the fact that Ericsson and Harder seem to just be coming back from that injury, they could peak at just the right time to help chelsea drive home so yeah i and especially um with the caribbean injury as well you're probably going to see harder coming back in now if she is fit um emma hayes doesn't really like to take risks either and she doesn't i feel she probably has the squad depth that she doesn't feel she needs to put these players in or rush them back into games when she has other, uh, other players that will do just as well like fleming or or g or england can come into those positions um Carter as well for like Ericsson at the back and stuff. So she doesn't need to rush these players back, but they're coming back at just the right time for for her, I think. It's
2: funny that you mentioned Carter, because that was actually one of the other players that I had on my list that I thought, maybe could have gotten not in above Eriksen. I think like we've seen her play in so many different formations this season, like in so many different defensive positions. She has given Chelsea a real consistency that we haven't seen from her before. And obviously she doesn't have the international recognition of a player like Eriksen. And if Eriksen was fully fit, she probably would still be the consistent starter. But I think we've seen a real new side to her and I've been quite impressed what she has done and what she's done, with the opportunity she has been given. You know, she hasn't, there's very few times this season where Emma Hayes has played her in a certain position and she hasn't delivered and she's very good at that one-on-one defensive quality that Emma Hayes is looking for so especially at the weekend as well I thought when she played with Bright she was particularly good
0: yeah, yeah I, and I think that could be an interesting partnership as well going into the summer as well for the Euros because I think she's definitely laying down play. plate well, maybe not a place, but definitely putting some thoughts into Serena's head as well about who's going to start across that back line. And if you have a a good partnership at club level, then it might be easier to transfer that into international level as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the form that Millie Bright is in, I think she was probably even one of the first names on the team sheet, whereas maybe she wouldn't have been this time last season, but her performances as of late, even starting playmaking at the back have been so impressed with her.
0: Some of her crosses um, and passing in in the FA Cup there at the weekend was just sublime it was amazing we talk about Williamson's ability to do that but I think Bright probably even was better at the at the weekend Um, I think we definitely seen more instances of just it was that out ball nearly it didn't probably quite reach care a couple of times but you could see that if I had care would have been off and it was just those long passes coming straight from the back
2: What was your thought process with the goalkeepers? Because I was like, when I was looking at them, there's very in my mind this season there is actually very little to pull them apart. And when I was looking up the stats, I was correct. My purely eye looking at the two of them, so Zinsberger has definitely started more games, but in terms of save rate, it's eighty-two percent Burger and like seventy-nine point six to Zinsberger. So it's not that much of a difference. Obviously, Burger had such an outstanding season. Last year, we know what she's capable of, whereas Zinsberger has probably proven she's capable of a lot more this season than we thought she was. She's been the
1: busier keeper. (laughs) Definitely the busier
2: (laughs) keeper, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, and and Berger also probably
0: dropped out of favour a little bit as well um, at the turn of the year. So that was another thing. But I think just, yeah, whenever I see her, I don't really have a, w- a worry sometimes goalkeepers can make you a bit nervy um and I don't think Berger kind of I think she instills um confidence uh, and yes, com- yeah. commands her back line um since Berger is definitely busier and sometimes I t- do when you look at it you're kind a of go, more there is a little probably yeah. a mistake in, in her like some of the passing out from the back sometimes can get Arsenal into trouble we've probably seen that a little bit at the weekend as well between the defenders and maybe it was just because it was a bit of a new back line, really. I think they were playing out like McKay but right back just didn't work for Arsenal. Um, And yeah, there was
2: a few nervy moments there, I think, so. So you went with the burger the (laughs) great and when it came to you you do love an attack like I think this is well established from our team of the week when it comes to an attack-minded team that is Emma Carroll's pick but from the four that you picked out who was the one that was kind of your I have to have this person in my team there's no way that I can have a Chelsea-Arsenal combined eleven and not have this person in it?
0: Well, there's two of them, and it's me, the man, and Kerr. You couldn't <laughs> not have both of those in. Um, Harder and Mead may have been up for a little bit more of a debate, um, especially on the seasons. That, well, Mead's had, had an outstanding season, but as I said, had Frank Kirby been fit, she probably would have went into that um, top three. But yeah, Mead and Kerr, like just, like, any team would... Go mad to have one of them, let alone two of them. So there were, <laughs> there would have been no arguments about the two of them going into the team anyway.
1: How much <laughs> longer just, do we think we'll have it was just how to fit to them in? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Up for selection see, next season season.
0: You know that that's it. Like you would hope that we get to see her in the WSL, but there'll be no surprise if she goes to a team like Barcelona or something. And
2: I kind of she, wonder I what she would she, do at a Barcelona. It's hard though. To think
0: like the team, I think was she still would backed. still add something. It's hard to think that, but yeah, you know, I think.
2: I, I think just think her would say. suit
0: them. Yeah, but you know she'll probably go and win a Champions League with them.
2: So (laughs) that is also true. This is me being like, don't leave the WSL, stay with us, please. (laughs) Um, Well, Emma, thank you so much for presenting us with your combined 11. We will be back to regularly scheduled programming next week with our team of the week returning in all its beautiful glory and As will all your screens. Everyone on Twitter can look out for those. (laughs) Your weekly picture is always enjoyed. And if you have any thoughts or opinions, you can get them into us at Off The Ball using the hashtag OTBCoitGIG. Joining us this week on the podcast is probably the most talked about Irish player of the last week for all good reasons. (laughs) Big and wide, Everton and Ireland goalkeeper, Courtney Brosnan. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight yeah thanks for having me it's great to see you um not almost as great as it is to see you between the sticks last week because that was particularly incredible and I enjoyed it very much uh not much to the displeasure of my not footballing enjoying brother who was sitting on the couch beside me and every time a ball would go near your net I would just start screaming and be like no (laughs) no (laughs) and he was very confused by the whole thing but how are you feeling almost a week later
3: yeah, I mean, I'm still uh, just delighted, like obviously really happy with the performance and getting a result like that away from home. So I think just still kind of
1: riding that high a little bit. And for um, Emma Byrne to say probably the best performance she's seen from an Irish goalkeeper. I mean, I know Emma, Emma, she doesn't give out compliments willy nilly. Like, So how did that feel like coming from the Irish goalkeeping legend?
3: Yeah, I think that was unbelievable. I saw the tweet and kind of just texted my dad and was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And then we were on the plane and Anya O'Gorman kind of said the same thing. She knows Emma well and she was like, oh, she doesn't give out compliments. Yeah. Need it. So really take that one in. So obviously it's kind of just amazing to get that, such high praise from, obviously such a such a legend in Ireland.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about like your... Build up and I suppose prep to a match like that because from Virapaz comments after the game, it seemed a bit uncertain in the lead-up as to who would actually be the goalkeeper for the match. And with it being such a pivotal, I mean, we were talking on the show afterwards. I think most Irish commentators were saying we would take not losing by a lot. We weren't even expecting yeah, to get I, anything.
1: I would, yeah, one nil loss if I'd have been like amazing.
2: But yeah,
1: wouldn't <laughs> have predicted it, it was class. Yeah, so,
2: yeah. so could you tell us a little bit about, I suppose, how you mentally prepared for such a big game?
3: Yeah, I think obviously, like when you come into the international, it's always so crazy because it's so focused on the games and the results right away. So I think obviously, you just try to transition from club into that. And I mean, I think every single player just tries to prepare as if they're going to play and kind of get themselves ready. So obviously I had played in the previous game, so it was sort of in that mindset to just uh, train hard, keep improving and showing myself, and then obviously be able to do my best uh, when the decision was made.
2: It's definitely – I think like it's probably been one of the most talked about positions for Irish fans over the last couple of like between the Euros campaign and then coming into the World Cup qualifying campaign. And most like part of it is as well, because we actually it's a position that we're quite stacked in in terms of (laughs) options, which we aren't always the rest of the way. But how do you handle that? Because, I mean, you look at the commentary about your performances the last week and before, and they've been overwhelmingly positive, but you've definitely been at the face of quite a lot of criticism as well. And with not playing regularly for club as well, I, there's like not as many opportunities, I suppose, for you to say, look, I made this mistake, but here, here is what I can do.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean... First of all, I think we just have such a great group of goalkeepers. So I think coming into camp, it's absolutely amazing to get to work with obviously Grace and Megan and Eve. So I think it's a really like healthy and competitive environment where we're like pushing each other, obviously. And then we want each other to kind of succeed. And then I think it's sort of obviously, just kind of having that inner belief in yourself and knowing kind of what you're capable of. And as you said, if the game times, maybe not coming still saying, okay, I know what I can do. And then when those opportunities come kind of being able to show that I think is really important. And obviously you just try to focus on the tasks at hand and see, see what you can do. I always
1: find the, the goalkeeper union so interesting because <laughs> You know, you play any other position on the pitch. If you're a centre mid, sometimes you might be redeployed full back or a different defensive or attacking. For goalkeeper, there's one person for one position. Like it's it's so competitive, but mm-hmm. it, it always seems to be a goalkeeper union. Is that just because you're you're in the, the the trenches together? It is the worst position on the pitch, and you just have that common kind of right. We want the best for each other because obviously a goalkeeper makes a mistake. It's all that's spoken about. It happens anywhere else in the pitch and it's not. Is it just because you have to have a different mentality?
3: Yeah, I think it's like that camaraderie and it's sort of like there's no one else that can understand kind of what you go through as a goalkeeper and kind of what it's like to be in that situation. As you said, that you can concede a bad goal or that you make a, a game winning save or something like that. So I think it's just kind of like, you definitely bond over that because these people have been there and they've experienced those things in their in their games as well. So I think that's kind of what makes the position so
1: kind of unique and so special. And you're all mad. Every goalkeeper, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you're all mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd have to be though. You would. Yeah, like, I mean, no. that's part of it. You're throwing yourself. Like, you're five foot nine. You you were coming out catching it over girls who are. They have a good few inches on you And probably a lot of muscle And stuff like that So you have to just have that Focus and that mental, mental mentality Yeah,
2: 100% <laughs> And who You talk about like The goalkeepers union And between all the different clubs You've played for And even at an international level I suppose Who has been the person That's maybe had the biggest impact on you as a, like as a fellow player? I mean, it might not even be a goalkeeper. It could be someone who runs drills with you during a trading session.
3: Yeah. I think like from a coaching perspective, I've gained so much from my goalkeeper coach at Everton this season, Ian McAlton. I think he's just like one of those coaches that like is so good as a coach, but then as like a mentor, as you said, kind of talking about different situations, how do you deal with when this happens, when this happens, things like that. So I think he has helped push me so much in that, like you said, I might not be playing as much game time as I would like, but I feel like I'm still learning so much. And he's putting me in scenarios that are helping me to develop without that game time. And obviously in the trainings that he does. And then I think, um, from like a player perspective, obviously, I'm quite close. Me and Grace Maloney are really good friends. So I think obviously she's been in the WSL. I play in the WSL. So she's someone like I chat to quite a lot about obviously like our games on the weekends or just sending each other clips saying, Hey, what do you think about this? All that. And then obviously in the national team, it's great to kind of have someone that I know she has my back and obviously I have her back. So it's like great to be kind of supporting each other and there for each other.
2: You mentioned there about Coaches at Everton and just having that mentorship. I heard through the grapevine that you're doing your UEFA licenses at the moment. I think you just came off a four hour class. (laughs) We are very grateful that you were here. But what sort of stage are you at with that and why? I suppose what pushed you to actually do it? Because it's something we talked about on the podcast with Emma Byrne, actually, um, where she was saying she was quite frustrated at the fact that there aren't more goalkeepers going into the coaching line to kind of come through the ranks and hopefully someday give their talent to the Irish squad and help us develop that position more and more.
3: Yeah. So I think we're only in the second block there. So I'm sort of just in the beginning stages, but I agree. I feel like it's always been something where I'm like thought about, I'm obviously so passionate and I'm like, love the thought of coaching. And I think I love even more as like a goalkeeper that you kind of have that special relationship where you can really develop someone and see the progress. So I think it's just, we have such a unique perspective. So I think it would be amazing to kind of, as you said, be able to continue take my knowledge from playing and hopefully kind of help the next generation
1: keep improving from there. Yeah. Because I think that the generation at the moment that are probably playing, they wouldn't have had people who've been coached like you so you're getting amazing coaching now but the generation before you wouldn't have had that so the improvements are only going to go from strength to strength the problem is just trying to keep people in the game keep people in the Irish game in particular and develop it over here because we should be producing very good goalkeepers given that a lot of the girls grow up playing Gaelic football their hand-eye coordination should be good and things like that but it has been the gap has been coaching so to hear that you're doing it is obviously amazing and hopefully you can encourage more and more of people and hopefully we'll see that back in in Ireland as well
2: definitely and with the coaching licenses Courtney is this something that you're looking like are you looking ahead to when the day comes where you stop playing and is that the route that you kind of think you want to follow that you want to push towards coaching or is this just something that piqued your interest now and you're not entirely sure what you might want to do god forbid the day it comes when you can't play anymore
3: <laughs> yeah i think it's kind of a combination i think it was obviously it's a good opportunity to kind of get a different perspective while i'm playing to kind of see how this side of things work and then i think I do have some interests, but it's not something where I was like, oh, I 100% know I want to be a coach. So I think it's like kind of exploring that now and seeing uh, where that takes me, as you said, when when the time comes when I'm no
1: longer playing, need something else to be doing. <laughs> We're not retiring you off just yet.
3: Right? <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, I promise when I ask those questions, I'm not trying to put
2: you to the bench. I'm just, I am curious because it, even last week when we on the podcast, we were talking about coaching and trying to get more women and girls into that position. So whenever we talk, especially to current players who are going through it, it's always interesting to get the perspective of what, A, what first kind of brought you to that point and why you yeah. want to do it and like what, what you're looking to do with it at some stage because as well that you can do all your badges but if you don't actually use them then (laughs) it it doesn't come down the line I wanted to ask you a bit about the setup at Everton this year because obviously it's been a really difficult season for the club I mean managers coming and going at the start of the season it was really optimistic there were some amazing players coming in It, it hasn't really transpired on the pitch what has the kind of atmosphere around the club been like and how how have you found being there this year Cause as well it's your first year with the club
3: yeah I think obviously when the opportunity came up I was really excited about it and felt like it was a great place to be and kind of a club with a lot of ambitions and bringing in really great players so I think obviously everyone is a little bit disappointed with our results and things like that but i'd say like the atmosphere and like the the group of girls it's amazing i feel like we have world-class players and it's just great to like be able to train with these people that are at such a high level so i think it's like taking this year and kind of using it as uh maybe like a learning year and hopefully pushing on from there to be able to like as you said, get maybe some more results and kind of see more on the pitch of what we feel that the quality that we have.
1: Yeah. And do you think it's a, a thing that maybe next season, because you've had this season together and you've gone through what you've gone through this season that we will see things start to click, or do you think another overhaul is, is what's required?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit hard to tell, but obviously I would be optimistic that things would start to click. And I think obviously this year with lots of different managers and things like that maybe hasn't gone as planned. So I think, uh, that would, you'd like to see that translate into a more positive year next year for sure
2: and what about your own ambitions so i think it was a was it a season one contract you signed with everton initially so that will be up this summer and is the wsl somewhere that you're looking to stay or i know you've had experiences in france as well you might want to go try out the nwsl is trying out different leagues something that you're interested in and i suppose i ask this question as well because you haven't been getting the game time at everton but obviously so they you have learned a lot. I mean, I think anyone watching you over the last year can tell that you have come on so much. So for you what what is going on for you in terms of next career steps?
3: Yeah, I think it's like obviously it's such a juggling act because there's so many different things. Like you see yourself improving, but then you want to get more game time, so it's kind of looking at things and kind of seeing where the balance is. And I think obviously, I mean, I want to be playing at club. I mean, you play football to be on the pitch. So I think that obviously weighs heavily in my decision. And I think uh, I've loved my time in the WSL. I think it's a great league and I would definitely want to continue to play here because I think it obviously has some of the top, top, Uh, players. And obviously I feel like I've learned a lot and grown a lot from playing here. So I think continuing that would be great. And then, but as you said, like there's so many other leagues that are great too. So I could see myself going somewhere else, but I think I do enjoy
1: England quite a lot. I would say. I'd say you caught a few Swedish eyes. No, no doubt. (laughs) So we'll That's like, that space as well. Do
2: things like that kind of run through your mind when you play a game like that, especially on the international stage against a team like Sweden? I mean, I know I was seeing on Twitter and stuff that they were quite unhappy with like time wasting and different things, which we call good game I management.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like, more of that, please.
2: But when you are given the opportunity to play, I suppose, outside the WSL, and if you are thinking, I wouldn't mind traveling a little bit, does that ever? Cross your mind, or are you just completely focused on the game that's in front of you.
3: Yeah, I think honestly, as soon as that whistle blows and you're out there, like you don't really think about anything else except for the game and kind of what you have to do. So I feel like stuff like that, I wouldn't really be thinking about it because I'm more worried about the the balls that are flying at the net. <laughs> at the <time.
2: laughs> well, that's fair, and I. I mean, I know we've complimented a lot, but it was a very good performance last week and it didn't look like you were thinking about anything else other than making sure Sweden didn't score. Um, and we very much appreciate you making sure none of those balls went in. How are you feeling about the qualifying campaign at this stage?
3: Yeah, I think everyone's still super excited and it's obviously great to get a a positive result, but I think we're obviously still know we have a lot of work to do and need to kind of get results to finish the job. So I feel like everyone's excited and lifted by the result, but also realizing like we need to keep our heads down and kind of put in the work to finish the job that we kind of have set out for ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I think you'll have a point to prove against Slovakia because maybe glossed over but there was a good bit of criticism after that and probably rightfully so because our expectations are high now um which is obviously a really really good thing but with that comes pressure and learning to deal with that pressure I think is the one element that this team probably needs to prove just based on Ukraine based on Slovakia so going into those couple games if you go out with a confident performance I think that that's half the battle it's just that those little seeds of doubt that just need to be ironed out because everyone is very excited from the outside as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like at this stage in the international game, every, every team you play is good. Like the quality is so high, whether you're playing the first place team in the group or the second, third or fourth place. So I think it's just, yeah, like you said, important for us to keep our confidence, but also then kind of show, show that on the pitch as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week and best of luck with the rest of the season. And also, of course, with the qualifying campaign, we we will be watching eagerly.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Appreciate it
2: that's it for this week's episode of the Koi Gig pod on OTV sports in association with Cadbury FC official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team as ever we'll be back with you again next week with all your WSL and WNL goodness as well as everything else in between too so make sure you're subscribed to the Koi Gig podcast on the OTB podcast feed and in all the other usual places and we will chat to you then
0: the Koi Gig pod on OTV sports in association with Cadbury A player and a half deserves a glass
3: and a half of support.